Welcome to the Strategy Mob Podcast. Tune in for everything you need to know to stay in the know regarding the automotive industry. Here's your host, Jason Harris. Hey, what's going on, Podcast Nation? It is Jason Harris here, and thank you for joining me another episode of Strategy Mob. Today, I have two very special guests all the way from the other side of the world. Well, at least for me, um, the other side of the world. I have both Kazi and Carrie uh, joining me tonight. Well, it's tonight for me. It's morning for them from Australia. Thank you for taking the time to jam with me today. Thanks for having us. Hey, uh, before we kind of get this podcast started, I think it'd be cool to kind of kick it off with a couple origin stories. So, Kazi, I'll start with you. How did you get started in this crazy little world we call the automotive industry? That's very interesting, actually. Um, it would have been about 35 years ago. On the same highway, literally, I'm working now, a little bit down the road, I started as an apprentice motor mechanic when I was 15. So, um, and just worked my way through from the, the service, you know, back end side of the business, and becoming a service or a mechanic, um, service advisor, and a service manager in the same dealership. Then, obviously, it was sold on later in life. And then, um, really, uh, from there, I um, went into the sales side with um, a bit of our motorbikes and the you know, sea doos and jet skis and back into automotive cars as I'm dealer principal in the Volkswagen dealership. So, uh, 30 plus years and still loving it. I imagine it's pretty been a pretty interesting time for you both right now. Um, Volkswagen has had some uh, interesting news internationally for a while, so it's fun to be in the Volkswagen space. Um, hey, Carrie, for yourself, how did you get started in the automotive industry? So I've been in the automotive industry for eight years now. I started off um, as a trainee salesperson at a Mitsubishi dealership. And now I've worked my way up as a new car manager for Bears with a Honda. Um, I really just fell into the industry. I think I was only about 19 years old and I was just on, um, you know, the job employment websites looking for anything that I thought I could be cool in summer and warm in winter. And they were the first ones to call me back. But boy, was I wrong because if there's a customer on the yard and it's pouring down with rain, I'm definitely going to have to be out there with them. But no, it's been a really, really great um time for me in the industry i've made a lot of friends and like learned a lot of skills and yeah i really really love it now i i know <laughs> that you guys are in the dealership so that's very cool and we got uh yeah. some time to talk about that before uh before we jumped on this call but i know it's different for everybody right now you know it seems like internationally there are dealerships that are still closed there are dealerships that are still forced to operate by appointment only. And then there are dealerships that are completely open. It seems like everywhere all over the world, there are pockets that have been greatly affected by this pandemic and then some not so much. So I think it'd be pretty cool to kind of just uh, chat a little bit about what your guys' current norm is. And Kazi, I'll start with you. What does the current normal look like for you? Well, if you can call it the current norm, it's very different from what April was. April was the um, the unknown, and we definitely had to um, really try and find out what's required by our staff and people. And so April was the, the month that was very challenging. Um, and then May sort of really turned around and, and became the norm. It was a very much of a V recovery, like we, we call it. And so it's, um, it's very busy, actually. Even on our Saturdays, we... We have to keep some of our people outside the dealership in terms of the showroom because we're numbered on how many people can come in. Um, so we, it's 
good problem to have, I can tell you. <laughs> that is a great problem to have. Hey, Carrie, for yourself, what does the current norm look like for you? Um, very similar. As of April, it was very mixed messages from the government. In it, like, so we were considered as um, essential business. So we still remained open to serve the community, but yet the message was do not leave your house. So we're sitting in these empty dealerships and people would have no idea what's going on. Um, so April was a very hard month. By the time um, it came to May though, things did like turn around. Um, I think that there was a lot more buyer confidence out there. The government was kind of like, you know, putting out initiatives to like start opening up some of the restrictions that they put into place and also like things like grants and stuff like that. I know really helped kind of put the money back into the economy in a sense. And a lot of people were using their grants on cars and stuff. And um, sorry about that. <laughs> um, so <laughs> it's just the day in the life of still working. Um, so <laughs> um, yeah, and then now, so June we're preempting for a very big month. It is often the biggest month of the year in the car industry being its end of financial year. Our targets are uh, very high at the moment um, and we've got some high expectations of us but the thing is the inquiry is there so there's no doubt that we can't achieve it well that's that's great to hear that consumer confidence is kind of on a rise for you guys because i know that varies yeah. everywhere now you know what i i went through the recession here in the u.s and that hit the automotive industry in a really hard way but that recession was kind of built up over a six to nine month period. Things kind of got progressively worse over a period of time. I don't think anybody, anybody could have anticipated our entire industry practically getting shut down in like a two week period. And I know for a lot of dealerships, you know, we had to, well, we had to do something that we don't always normally do and that's change. <laughs> you know, we're, we're in an industry that's not typically used to or wanting to change in a big way. But I feel uh, kind of globally, we've actually done a phenomenal job of kind of changing as the pandemic forced us. But I find that, you know, because of that, we've had to learn a lot of new things. So I'm actually curious for you guys, you know, kind of coming, you know, going into this pandemic and dealing with it right now. What are one of the biggest things that you've learned, you know, about your industry? Kazi, I'll start with you and Carrie, I'll ask you the same question. Um, it's been interesting. Really, one of the biggest challenges was actually our um, after-sales team because as an after-sales team, they're very, very much process-driven and they know exactly every day, yeah, a car comes in, you open the bonnet, you do this, do that. And so there's quite a bit of unknowns for our workshop. So uh, we pretty much had in... in um, the communication barrier every every day 12 o'clock we had a, a meeting with the um our workshop and just discussing what the new today is because every day was so different it was all unknown in australia as to what was going on right so it was just to reassure everybody we don't know what's gonna happen tomorrow we're all in this together but today is today this is what we need to focus on and um, so the biggest thing was really having that communication, open transparency, um, even to the point where I, I can't guarantee you'll have a job in two months' time or three months' time. And I think a lot of people were saying, it's all good, it's all safe, like the Titanic, yeah? 
And, and my, my biggest line was, you know, I don't want to be the guy playing the violin on the Titanic top deck saying, all good, where you're going, don't jump off the ship, right? Because um, we know what happened in the end with Titanic. So I think open, transparent, and don't promise something you can't deliver. And, and I feel like for a lot of dealerships right now, that's the key is communication, right? not just communication with our uh, with our customers, but also communication with our staff. Um, you know, Carrie, for yourself, you know, what are one of the biggest things that you've learned kind of going through this pandemic? I think like being at a dealership, we are here for very long hours. And being, <laughs> as is all around the world, um, you know, we, we really grind it out. So a lot of those hours spent here, I don't think are really utilised in a positive way. So when we were, um, our hours were pretty much cut down to half. So I was here five days a fortnight. Um, you really learn how to make the most of your time here, being a lot more, um, you know, kind of diligent with what you do and, yeah, a bit more structured. And to be honest, you know, once you kind of have a good routine in place and really, like, able to like set your appointments for the days that you're there and all your handovers and stuff like that I think that I've learned that you can utilize your time in a lot better I was working from home quite a bit um and I think that my job can easily be done off-site as well as on-site um that's what it's really taught me but at the same time it is also not only I was working um you know, reduced hours. So was the administration, servicing, the pre-delivery departments, all of that. So it's being able to, again, yeah, communicate with each other and also communicate with the customers because it is an unknown time and just making sure that everyone is aware of where everything's at so, like, we can continue to run smoothly. No, that's very true, Carrie. I mean, a lot of dealerships have been doing a lot with a little lately. And, you know, they've, they've kind of gotten used to being able to kind of do a lot with a little. I think for a lot of owners out there, I think they've, their eyes have kind of opened up to, you know, the idea of being more productive, not necessarily just throwing more bodies at a problem. You know, so, I mean, I know there's a fair amount of dealerships out there that are playing with that idea of how do they restructure you know, their schedule. I mean, Carrie, you're 100% right. I mean, everybody knows in the automotive industry, it's bell to bell. It's from morning to evening. It's lots of hours. You know, we can all admit that our industry doesn't have the best family life, work life balance. You know, uh, we spend a lot of time at work. And, but, but I'm finding a lot of dealerships are now thinking about that. Like, can I structure it where my staff does spend more time at home communicating, you know, with customers online and then coming in? just to do the walk around and the payment presentation and the sell of the vehicle. Um, I'd like to get kind of both of you guys' thoughts on that of, you know, should we restructure our business model to adapt to kind of a, a stay at home type, you know, work life balance? Kazi, I'll start with you and Carrie, I'll ask you the same question. Um, it's funny, we, a previous dealership I was at, I had a gentleman who wanted to leave um, and start his own side business. And the conversation I had with him was, your wife's pregnant, you're going to try to start this new business with no data, no customers. He said, what if we try, see if it works for both of us, what if we try three days a week, you're working in our used car department, and he was roughly selling 15 to 17 cars a month as a wife, right? In a 
five, six day um, week. So I said, how about we try three days a week? And we, what we found was very um, interesting. So it was very structured and we made it, we had specific um, structured things. So we found that when he did come into the dealership, there was none of this chit chat and talk about the football and motor race. It was, I've got an appointment at 10 o'clock, I've got an appointment at 11 o'clock, I've got an appointment. At, and it was, so we found um, until the group is business on the side, he was still selling 15 cars a month working three days a week. And I remember my CEO said to me, he goes, I'm talking about this guy here is on three days a week scheduled, yeah? I said, yeah, and he's doing 15 a month. I said, we need more of him. And this was two years ago. So we, we try and, and promote, we have some mothers coming in who can't work five days a week. And, and so they've got a structured system as is for the children. Um, I think it's important to make sure that we understand we have a very good mixed dynamic of, of you know, male to female in a dealership and have the opportunity that if people want to work on it, they don't necessarily have to work the six, seven days. So I think moving forward, uh, and, and Kerry, you, you said it, um, and I didn't work, you know, I, I, at the time going to Spitzer April, I thought it was important for me as a leader to be every day. But I know for a lot of people um, who did have that three days a week, they felt a bit lost where they didn't have that structure. You know, I don't know I'm going to work and then, you know, so having a structure, um, and you find that if people, uh, they'll come to work and they'll get things done in a shorter amount of period of time, they don't stretch it out. And you know what? I find the customer is the one that actually benefits from that, you know, because the, the, that, that salesperson or that advisor is very, very, very focused. You know, they're very structured to your point, Kazi. You know, they, they know exactly what they want to accomplish, all right? A lot of the conversation, a lot of the communications can already happen before the customers come into the dealership. And, you know, when they come in, it's like, okay, we got four or five things we need to accomplish. It's just boom, 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 get it done. It's, it's, it's better for the dealership. And I think it makes for a better experience. I mean, I don't think anybody wants to spend four and a half hours in a dealership. Maybe a few, I could be wrong, but I think in general, <laughs> most people don't want to spend four and a half hours in a dealership. Carrie, what do you think? Do you think our industry could embrace this, you know, three day a week type philosophy, this working from home, you know, that this pandemic has forced us to do? Look, I think that this has been a debate for quite a long time now. And um, the whole way that the consumer buys a car has evolved and changed over the years. Everyone's doing a lot more research where because all the information's available online. Whereas, you know, 20 years ago, without like the use of the internet, people had to come in and see us. And what we're finding more often than not is a lot of customers are coming in and they know a lot more about our cars than us and they know a lot more about the competitive cars than us. And all they really need to come in for is to see and drive the vehicle. Um, real estate has been doing it for ages. You know, they've been working from home, booking appointments, booking viewings, and we are pretty similar industries, I believe, um, in a sense. But we are kind of, I feel like a lot of, salespeople feel chained to the dealership you know for all these hours in a week and you know if we can be a little bit more productive with our time get everything done and just book of our appointments to come into the dealership when we need our test drives and stuff like that if we start embracing this appointment only culture for a dealership and handovers then realistically people can do their follow-ups at home their leads um, and all of that at home um, and if they're it all comes down to 
um, how you know motivated that like that salesperson is at the end of the day. I mean, they can kick back at home and play PlayStation all day and not achieve an result. But if you've got someone that's very driven and who really wants to succeed, they will make it work and they'll still achieve 15, 20, 25 cars a month without a problem. Yeah. No, I agree with you. I think it all comes down to the individual. And and I think what a lot of dealerships are seeing right now, you know, through this pandemic is the the cream rises to the top. Yeah, you're seeing real leaders really leading their teams. You're seeing real sales professionals be real sales professionals. And I, I think what we're beginning to see is almost kind of the bottom third of our industry, maybe not, maybe not coming back. Like, I, and I don't know, I, I, I know it sounds bad, but I actually think I'm okay with that. <laughs> You know, like yeah. I, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with having just the professionals and the best of the best lead our teams and the best of the best help our customers. I'm okay if some people kind of fall off from that. Um, now, I'm actually curious because Carrie, you mentioned something about kind of your online presence. And I'm curious for the both of you, you know, how has that changed, you know, during this pandemic? Have you guys seen a pretty big increase in online traffic? And, and how much more time are you guys focusing on your digital dealership versus your physical dealership? Kazi, I'll start with you and then Carrie, I'll ask you the same question. Well, it's actually funny. So today we release our brand new website. Um, so uh, yeah, absolutely perfect timing, right? Um, so we've focused, it's funny. So I, I've been here exactly a year yesterday in this dealership. So a year ago, um, the digital um, presence uh, was very, very little. So since then, we had no marketing manager actually in the dealership. Um, uh, and now I've actually got two marketing managers in the dealership. So we actually spend a lot of our time um, in that digital area. And, but it's specific. So, you know, I hear this question all the time. People ask me, you know, what are you doing about SMS blasts? I say, well, an SMS blast doesn't work. It's great saying, you know, the place on fire, do not come to the dealership. That's great. That's, a, that, that's, that's where it works. But then there has to be a specific a marketing campaign to a specific model and demographic if you want to have a good outcome. And we find that with my two digital people, uh, one is very analytical and has all, she's set and do all the data and tell you who drives what, where and so forth. And the other guy is great on, on the, on the um, on getting all the pictures and, and uh, all the video. And I think video, as you said, and I've watched some of the other podcasts, is definitely the future. And I believe... Unfortunately, I think we, Australia is behind what America does. America's 10 years in front. And we are starting to definitely get better with video and sharing our, um, uh, if someone rings up about a car, or, uh, we are, we're trying now to get into the mood and, and get the people comfortable from the video is one thing, right? And saying, hey, Johnny, well done. And we, you see it now. I think it's an American thing too. The video is definitely the way. And one of the challenges is to convince the people, the old dinosaurs, that it is the way in groups, um, uh, but they'll be left behind. He said some dealerships, if they're going to be gone, they're gone. But I definitely think the video and digital is put more money into that area and less in those old newspapers and those things that are just dead, dead in the water. And, and you know what it is? At the end of the day, it, it's just how the customer wants to communicate. Like, I, I, th I think we're at the point with video that it's no longer just kind of a, a good idea or a best practice. I, I, I'm with you, Kazi. I, like, I honestly think it, it's just a mandate. 
It's like enough's enough. It's just something that has to be done. I mean, Carrie, I know you were early on in creating video. Um, you guys want to hear a funny story? I was, you know, I'm at home a lot right now. So I was cleaning out the basement of my house and I found my old flip cam. And it was the first camera that I used at the dealership. And, you know, I posted my first video in 2006. 2006 when I posted my first video and I had a lot more hair. Um, I had to talk really loud because the microphone on this camera was total crap. But hey, this was a this was a really advanced camera. It had a whole one megapixel. All right. This was I mean, this was this was top of the line stuff at the time. But but no, Kazi, I'm I'm totally with you on this. I think I think from a from a communications perspective, it's how the customer wants to be communicated with as an industry. I think it's no longer a good idea or best practice. It's a mandate. Hey, Carrie, for yourself, I'm curious for your dealership, you know, how has your online presence changed in the past few months? Um, I believe over here, like we've always had uh, a decent online presence. Um, for the last few years, when I was selling cars, I'd always been massive on video, <laughs> um, and I think that was obviously something that helped me get to where I am today. Because I was always on the front foot; I was one of the first people in Australia heavily doing videos, like um, aiming to do one or two a week at least, um, and. So with that kind of background, when I came into management, I kind of put that into practice here for my sales team anyway. So we were just taking videos of, you know, particular models. And when someone inquires on that model, we've just literally got that database there, just sitting there um, and we can shoot them off. And I would highly recommend that my sales team as well personalize it a little bit. So rather than just using one of our database, you can use it if you don't want to get in front of the camera. But um, if you don't, if you can say, do a selfie video, make it personal. It doesn't have to be perfect. I think the imperfections are the best part of it as well. It's like, hi, Mr. and Mrs. Blah, blah, blah. This is the demo behind me that you just inquired on. Um, can't wait to show you through the vehicle. Give me a call when you can so we can chat about it further. It only needs to be 15 seconds. And so a lot of salespeople are kind of on the front foot with, um, you know, handling inquiries, trying to call people, SMS people. But if you've got that video that gets shot through to you with a face, you know, you're going to be way more remembered than anyone else. But I think coming into the pandemic, I think it has become a little bit more for other people. We've been doing walkarounds because obviously people can't come in. We've also been doing kind of like Zoom video um, handovers. So we've been doing contactless handovers. We'll leave the car at the house and then we'll do a walk around at the dealership explaining the features and whatnot. And I think that, you know, even without this pandemic, we've got like... Um, people with illnesses like you know he can't leave anyway if we give like make this more of a procedure that we offer to all of our clients I think it would be really beneficial and as I said there's so many people sitting behind the computer screen these days who don't want to come in they really don't so we've kind of got to tailor to those people who rely so much on the technology side of things to learn about the vehicles no I, I'm, I'm with you Carrie I mean I think you know, the customer's changed, right? I mean, in, in, in two months, right, the customer has has 
change in a huge way and it has forced us as an industry to change as well. I mean, it, it's no longer acceptable that, you know, we create a process where we require the customer that they have to come to the dealership. They got to come in, they got to come in, they got to come in, they got to come in. It's like now we need to have four or five different processes depending on that customer's confidence with us and what our uh, precautionary efforts have been, so on and so forth. Now, you guys have both mentioned marketing. And I here's something that I'm getting asked a lot right now, and I'd love to get both you guys' uh, thoughts and opinions on this, is a lot of dealerships are asking me, like, Jason, what should I be marketing right now? Um, you know, I mean, this is not the time where you're standing on top of your dealership yelling, huge discounts, low lease rates, you know, and which is typically as an industry how we market. Um, but I would love to kind of get your guys' thoughts and opinions of what a dealership should be marketing right now. Kazi, I'll start with you and then Carrie, I'll ask you the same question. Um, I think it depends on what's transpired in the last month, especially in May, because April I said it was, it was very disastrous and May um, people out and about. And right now what we find is um, the clients want to come in and they want to buy a car. So therefore we need to make sure that we have the vehicles available so that they view the car, drive the car in a very short period of time. As you mentioned before, they don't want to be for four hours. They're mindful of how many other people are coming in. They don't really, so, we, we, we have people that they can see are cleaning the cars whilst they're here. So the car comes back from road test, someone spraying the door handles, walk around the car, so they can visually see it. And, uh, and this is, again, the opinions. I think there's enough people, manufacturers out there telling everybody we're doing all these wonderful things to make it safe, right? And I think I don't want to be another dealership telling everybody we're spraying the whole world and we're doing this and that, right? It's... it's it's the obvious thing that we're doing. I think it's very important to, to show that it is safe to come to a dealership, but when they do come into a dealership, whereas previously they'd come in three times, I visit three dealerships, they're coming now one dealership and they want to be there for half an hour, buy the car. So I think, again, go back to salespeople, they need to have the information. And as Volkswagen says, know who I am, know your product, know the information, be precise, right? Very diligent. True to the fact, sell the vehicle and, and let it all happen. Um, whereas we don't want to flounder and wait three hours and check out. They don't want to be here that long. Right, right now they don't want to be. So uh, I think it's it's understanding the client. Know who I am. No, I'm, I'm with you, Kazi. I mean, I, I think, think dealership or, or sorry, customers right, right now will want to know, you know, know what, what is the process. process. I mean, I, I know for a fact right now that if I go, you know, to the grocery store to pick up groceries, I mean, before I go to the grocery store, you know, I get the 10 things I have to do before I go. You know, it is it is really, really clear and very well defined. And I think there's a lot of customer or a lot of customers out there that uh, may be in market for a car, may be needing to get their vehicle service, but they just don't simply know what is that process. And you know, how can you be confident in doing something like that or, or, or a transaction of that size if you don't simply know the process? I'm with you. I like that. Marketing the process makes sense. Hey, Carrie, for yourself, you know, for dealerships out there thinking about, you know turning on their marketing efforts back on, what would you kind of recommend that dealerships should be marketing right now? I mean, I definitely agree with you. Like now's not the time to be advertising massive discounts and, you know, silly rates and stuff like that. Um, 
at the end of the day, we are like an influx of like so many good cars at the moment. So the buyer's choice is crazy. And to be honest, they're all very good cars out there. Like, you know, they're not going to really make a treacherous decision. So I feel that, you know, marketing yourself, the history of your dealership, you know, putting that kind of into the buyer's minds rather than just your product even, because a lot of them already know the product. They need a reason to buy because let's just say like here in Western Australia, we've got four Honda Metro dealers. So we've all got the same product. We can all do the exact same price in new cars. So it doesn't really matter. You have to market yourself. That's what's important. You need to give a person, like, not just to buy the car, but to buy the car off you. Why it's important to buy it off you. And I um, have always, I've got a young trainee here. She's a young mum. And I've told her, tell them your story. Tell them about your little boy and stuff like that. Because at the end of the day, you create relationships. It's not about selling. It's not about discounting. It's about forming relationships with your clients and hoping that they refer people back to you or come back to you in the future. And we've got to bear in mind that for us, we sell cars every single day. For us, the glitter, glitter of it has, you know, is not always there. But for these people, they might buy a car every four years, six years, 10 years, even 20 years. So, um, We've got to make it special for them. And I think, yes, signposting is very, very important. Like you said, being upfront with the process. Some people, we've, you know, they want to come in and test drive and get an appraisal and, and do it all in 20 minutes. But I think it's important that we need to let them know. All right, so basically what the process is, we come in, I'll have a chat about your options. We'll figure out what vehicle's important for you and show you that vehicle. Then we'll take you on a test drive. Whilst we're on that drive, we'll do an appraisal of your car. So when we come back, we are ready to talk about the figures. How does that sound? And when you're upfront about the whole, every step across the way, they can't come back and say, oh, oh, I, you know, didn't have the time for that. And if they don't have the time for that, we reappoint for a time that they can do all of that with us. So it's really, really important that we are being upfront and open about exactly what we need to go through whilst they are here. I, I think that's great, Carrie. But you, you, know, you know what we just said, and all three of us agree on this, is that we should be marketing people and process. Did you see the word, the other P, price? <laughs> we, we didn't even mention it, did we? Like we, we didn't we, we didn't even bring it up in our conversation. And I think that's quite interesting because, I mean, I, as an industry, I'm beginning to realize that, you know, maybe we're understanding that that is probably not the most important thing, you know, to a customer. I'm, I'm not saying that it's not important. It is, but it may not be the most important thing. And I agree with both of you right now that I think people and process is more important than price. That's awesome. And I think if we continue to market those two Ps that our consumer can feel more confident in actually doing business with that, with us as a dealership. Um, confidence. I want to talk to you guys a little bit about confidence, consumer confidence. But the one, the other subject that I'm really kind of interested in right now is our staff employee confidence. And I just don't hear enough people talking about this right now. I mean, guys, I have to admit to you 
that this is the one place in our industry that I've been a little disappointed as far as us as an industry. I, I'm, I'm finding right now out of the hundreds and hundreds of dealerships I've spoken to in the last couple months that it's almost kind of split down the middle. I think about 50% of them are doing a great job of communicating to their staff and their employees and building the confidence up in them during the pandemic. But then I hate to say the other 50% has been sticking their fingers in their ears and been sitting their heads in the sand and just going la, 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 until this whole thing is over. And I would love to kind of hear your guys' thoughts and opinion on how we keep our teams motivated and how we keep the confidence um, high in them right now. Kazi, I'll, I'll ask you and then Carrie, I'll ask you the same question. I think it's important, like as a dealer principal, I've got you know, I have seven departments in the dealership that I have to um, you know make sure I fire it all at once. Um, and my sales manager sort of and my GSM that sometimes somebody go away because I spend a lot of time on the floor. And I think uh, we know how serious the world is right now. We know what's going on. It's very obvious. But you need to have um, a bit of a fun time up and around it. And like we just joke around about, okay, how many steps have you done for the day? So everyone's on their phones. I've done 6,000. I've done 4,000. So you've got to sort of inspire the teams, have a bit of fun and have some little of these initiatives on the daily. Yeah. And I mean, we had a guy last month, he sold and delivered 30 vehicles in a month, right? Now, in a pandemic in times, we've not done this in the past. So why has he able to do this now? Right, you've got to ask that question. So it comes back to what we were saying earlier, is having those principles and being strategic and intent and no mucking around. So I think you need to be a part of your team and you can't be hiding behind a laptop looking at the data and saying, I need another dollar here and another you know, quarter you call it over here. I think you need, now's the time to be with your people and not behind a computer. You need to be part of it. You need to be on the floor and um, just need to be a party team. No, I think you're 100% right. I mean, like I said, we, we mentioned this a little earlier, right? This is when you're seeing true leaders be true leaders. And you do, you, you need to be a part of that team. And, and I agree with you, something a little fun. I like that. I, I like the step challenge. I think, because in a dealership, man, we walk a lot. Like, I mean, yeah. I, when I was thinking, like the first dealership I worked at um, set on 25 acres. And wow. it was it, it was a monster. I mean, you had to use a, like a little golf cart to like get around the place. Of course, when I first started, they all messed with me and they removed the batteries out of them. So then literally like the first like two weeks I was there, I had no golf cart. And this was in 110 degree weather. And I remember just they would tell me to go get a car that they knew was two cars deep. And it was on the other side of the lot. Like I was picked on a lot as a, as a new salesperson. Um, <laughs> hey, Carrie, for yourself, um, kind of what are your thoughts on like, how do we keep our team motivated, you know, during the pandemic? I think like we've got to remember obviously we are dealing with people and real human beings and they've got you know their own lives and issues in the background and especially with you know the unknown on us we can't be putting like too much pressure on them but at the same time we need to be giving them the support that they need to succeed and I think continuing like you know training and all of that and like increasing their learning and stuff like that so they can feel confident um, within themselves and when they are talking to clients is very, very important. Um, 
and yeah just just remembering that you know even though it is hard times we still want to come to work and enjoy ourselves and have like you know there's we've always had banter in, in in the um like dealerships and that's you know been a lot of the the culture that you know gets you through those long tiring days of course we want to get work done and stuff like that but we don't want you coming into work and feeling you know this big bubble over you that you're of, like that you're uncomfortable and you don't want to be here so um it's just remembering that you know we are all humans at the end of the day and, and just working together with each other motivating each other and supporting each other i'm with you on that carrie um i think motivating mm. each other we do have to collectively work as a team um but i think mm. there's but but to your point kazi there, there are leaders like there are leaders i mean <laughs> when i think about you know my entire career in this business you know i, I had a couple managers that were just phenomenal people I mean, they were, you know, before they were a manager, before they were a car salesman, before anything, these were just phenomenal people. And, you know, they really influenced me and motivated me. And I, I'd, I'd have to say that I'm a byproduct of being able to work with some just some phenomenal people over the years. In fact, that's actually kind of a great question. This will actually be the next question I'll ask for you guys. You know, who has influenced you the most when it comes to, you know, to how you approach your work? Kazi, I'll ask you, and then Carrie, I'll ask you the same question. That's a good call. Um, I think the first, as a young apprentice, um, I was probably scared of the dealer principal at the time, right? Like, it was, it was about six or seven, big guy, right? But he was a, a hard taskmaster. I mean, all the things he was, we thought we hated him for as a young guy, later on, we still talk about the guy. He passed away, unfortunately, a couple of years away. But like we still talk, and, and we say that it was the best dealership I've ever worked at because it was. It's all in the eighties. I mean, it was structured. We knew where we stood. Um, we respected, and I think it's a big thing. I think these days that there's um, a lot of people don't respect um, their leaders, and and also people you don't necessarily have to like your manager, like like the army, yeah, the colonels and lieutenants and so forth, that whatever. But you have to respect the call, right? They're making a decision for a um, a reason which you may not understand at that particular time. But later on, so 15 years and 20 years later, we're still talking about the first dealership I worked at as an apprentice. And it comes back to family values. We were in a recession back in the 80s. Um, he never disowned any people. Um, we could see the stress going through the business, but as a young kid, you don't really understand really the monetary side behind it. Um, but I think in terms of we need to take snippets of information from all these good leaders we've had in the past and build that upon where we are now. And I think the family values, trust, um, it all comes to the product. It's the same for Kerry. You know, there's the same cars everywhere, right? Why do people buy from you? Because they like you because you're, you're trustworthy, you know, you show empathy, all these things. So I think the, the human factors have to come out and you find it the human factors that you've liked in previous leaders or managers, you like that, right? So therefore you remember those things. And sometimes we'll discipline for whatever reason, but we go, okay, fact, yeah. Yeah, um, they're things of growing up in, in the car environment as a young uh, apprentice mechanic at the time, right? Yeah, I remember um, the first dealership I worked at, if you were late, all right, for a Saturday morning meeting, you had the choice to Drop and give give the person twenty push ups, or give them twenty bucks. 
and wow. um, you know, <laughs> there was there was a lot of hazing. There was it was very much so like a, a minor frat house slash military. But you know, um, I I call I, I call the industry the island of misfit toys. Because I think it's the best way to describe our industry because we're all kind of like that. Hey, uh, Carrie, for yourself, you know, um, who, who has influenced you the most when it comes to how you approach work? I don't think I can say it's just one person. I think I've have been influenced on many people that I've crossed paths with in my life, from managers to dealer principals to even like just colleagues and other salespeople. And I've picked up bits and pieces from all of them and kind of adapted them to myself. Um, I've seen some really good um, you know, traits to have and some traits that I wouldn't want to pick up and put on myself. So, yeah, I've been at a few dealerships in my time um, and, you know, I've had, I've seen some, you know, more empathetic side dealerships and some more kind of, like you say, like drill sergeant style dealerships. And in a sense, if you can kind of like get the best out of all of those pieces and put them together and you can mould something structured with, um, you know, obviously thinking about the people at the same time. I think that's what you need. Like I've seen, we used to have like a punishment car, which was like a bunky trade-in, which was spray painted all over the side, basically saying that like I was late. And then, you know, <laughs> then you'd have to drive that for a week. <laughs> and those are sorts of things that I've been brought up and seen as well. And, you know, like everyone has a laugh and all of that. And, you know, it, 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 that's kind of what the car industry has been in the past. And, and I don't know if I'd personally adapt that into my own <laughs> management style, but, like, there, there's definitely things out there that, you know, I've, I've seen and moulded into who I am now. So, <laughs> yeah. No, I, I'm I'm with you. We, you know, having those experiences, we've seen the good, we've seen the bad, we've seen the ugly, and and I find that you know through I, I, the funny thing is I would never give any of it up. I mean, I was at some pretty bad dealerships. I'm not gonna lie. Like, I mean, I worked. I mean, one of the first dealerships I worked at, they had a culture, and the culture was nothing but money. And you know, but it learned. But I taught. I guess it taught me a lot of what not to do. Um, you know what I find interesting right now is that even though that we're just coming, that we're in a pandemic right now, or just coming in, coming out, I guess, I don't know, it just depends where you are in the world, I guess. Um, but there are new people coming into our industry, which I'm actually kind of surprised back. But, but I mean, I'm finding new salespeople coming in because I get DMs on a pretty regular basis say, hey, Jason, I'm brand new in the industry. You know, what kind of advice can you give me? And I'm so surprised that right now we have people doing that. And I think it's great. That says a lot about our industry and that makes me excited. But I would love to kind of hear from both of you guys, you know, what's a mistake you made early on in your career and what did you learn from it? Kazi, I'll start with you and then Carrie, I'll ask you the same question. Um, I think um, as a young guy coming through, I think young people think they know everything and um, we tend not to listen, right? I'm trying to talk to my eight-year-old son at home. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. He knows everything, right? And so therefore, I'll pass him on to mum and mum can have a chat to him. So I think um, younger generation, I'm talking about quite young, um, they sort of think they know everything. So it's a very unique industry. And I think surrounding yourself with people, I've got a guy who started as a cadet at the age of 33, and he actually now works here with me, right? So 
when he came on board, he knew nothing, and everyone's like, he's no good, he's not going to, it's not going to work. So we'll teach him the right way, teach him the correct way. And he's one of the best guys we now have. And I think the important thing right now is fresh people are good. I like young, fresh people who not been in this, right? Like you see people being, oh, I've been doing this for 40 years, and yeah, and you're still no good at it. So what did you learn 40 years ago that you've, that you've done continually for the next 40 years? So I think younger people, the good side of it, they adapt to new ways, right? Which is a good thing. Older folk, um, we don't tend to adapt. But it's your choice, right? You either you're left behind, or you move with the younger folks. And so, but I think the thing is, mould the people with all the right tools. And my biggest thing is to surround myself with people who are better than me in all areas that I don't like doing, right? In all the analytics, in all the so you got to surround yourself with the right people. But when you do, mould the young people with all the information, and they will come start. That's that. That's so true. I really agree with that, Kazi. I mean, it's. I, I think one of the the biggest keys to the success I had in an early age getting into this industry was my ability to eat humble pie. You know, it's really what it was. I mean, when I think back, and a lot of people ask me now, still, you know, what's the best advice I can give them going into the industry? And I'm like, be humble, learn. Learn what to do, and you're also going to learn a lot what not to do. <laughs> hey, Carrie, for yourself, you know, what was a mistake you made early on in your career, and what did you learn from it? I think that I started in the industry so young, and realistically, it was my first real job, um, to be fair. So I had come straight from uni into from earning no money into this industry. And at the time, as even as a trainee, I'd fallen into, you know, quite a really good industry and being able to earn a lot in quite in my first year. And I think that you kind of um, like forget, like I don't know, you forget about your hardships prior to, and you, you know, and you, especially when you are doing well so quickly, it. You, you can kind of, you know, skyrocket your ego a little bit. And then even like with managers and stuff, and I think it's taught me like, you know, as a manager how to handle people who, you know, may think that they are know the process better than you. And I think that is a lot of the thing with Gen Y as well. So you've got all these millennials who, um, unlike the generation before, who believed in really working hard and sticking it out and, you know, putting blood, sweat and tears, they want to find, you know, easier ways to do things, quicker way to do things. And they may think that, you know, sometimes they, they can do things better than people had done them beforehand. It may not always be right, <laughs> but like they, they're always, they're always more innovative. They're coming up with ideas and stuff, and they're not afraid to say them as well. Whereas pre previously, you know, you, you kind of just shut your mouth and do as you're told whether you like it or not. So um, I think that, you know, me being a millennial myself, <laughs> always having ideas, um, sometimes being shut down, and I really didn't like it. it. Crushed my ego a lot when I got shut down. Uh, I think just learning how to, you know, at, with age, I think, and, you know, um, when you grow up a little bit and realise to get out of your own head, you just how to take on criticism and use that. Um, to better yourself and I believe in like always learning now I'm always always learning like you can never be the expert there's once you learn something you can there's always something else after that so 
I think that's something that I really like to adapt into my team that, you know, you, you just keep trying to grow yourself because regardless of how much you think you know, there's always someone out there that knows a lot more than you. That, that that's that's so true carrie i mean you know i've actually seen mm. some dealerships do some amazing things with some kind of mentorship type programs so you know they'll mm. partner up some of the younger newer staff with some of the older staff but w what they do is they don't have the intention of having the younger person learn from the older person what they do is they partner mm. them up and they're constantly teaching the team new things and the older and younger staff member have to learn how to do it together, um, which I think is fast-tracked. Uh, the handful of these dealerships I've seen do this in their training and coaching efforts in a big way. Now, well said, Carrie. Hey, um, I know we're getting towards the end of our time, guys, so I get to ask you one last question. It is my favorite question of the day, um, and I prepped you before, so I got big expectations. No, I'm just messing with you. Uh, <laughs> but, but, Kazi, I'll start off with you. What is pissing you off well um i think really right now um, in australia we we have um this job keeper system and and so it's your government's obviously subsidizing some of the wages right and dealerships and the thing that's pissing off the people are really playing the system and they're, they're taking their days off and they're doing that so to me the unfortunate part of it is that Everyone can see who you are, but you can't hide, right? And so, you know, we talk about what happens in September when all this JobKeeper stops. Um, unfortunately, you know, they're in the scope of everybody. So if you talk about who will be the first people, I think right now that as, as a, a, a team, you have to be a team member and team player. If you want to be an individual and play the system, no, no problem, go for it, yeah? But we can see you. Right? You can't hide, right? So come September, that's going to be the unfortunate potential. Um, a chat where um, if they don't like being in the dealership or whatever the case may be, um, yeah, no one's keeping me, no prisoners. No, I, I'm, I'm with you on that, Kazi. You know what? If you're not a team member, get the hell out of here. All right, Carrie, you're up. I know she got this big old grin on her face. She's got a good one, you can tell. <laughs> All right, Carrie, uh, what, what is no, pissing I, you I, off? <laughs> There's a lot that's going on like this year. So there's just so much to to try to button down one thing. We started off obviously, um, you know, with the tragedy of Kobe Bryant. Then Australia started burning into flames. And, you know, we had to work hard as a community to help each other out. And then obviously all the COVID-19 stuff came into play and everyone was so unsure and now there's the George Floyd and all the protests and there's a lot of anger in the world right now and confusion and I think the worst thing about it is we're in six months time probably no one's even going to remember any of it so what are we going to learn from it at the end of the day it's been a really trying year and I just want us to be able to make progressive movements from this but in reality I don't know if we will or if we won't and I'd like to see something happen from all of this, from all these struggles. But we can only wait and see. I'm with you on that, Carrie. I mean, I, I, until and I, until they have a vaccine, we're, we're we're in this new kind of social norm. But I am I'm afraid, along with you, that you know once they have a vaccine and everyone's got it, it's just back to normal. And I hate to see that because I think as a society, uh, we're we're pushing forward faster 
in ways than I think we ever have um, in spite of this pandemic. Hey guys, for everyone out there that's watching and listening right now and would love to connect with you and kind of follow along with your journey, what is the best way to do so? I'll start with you, Kazi. Yeah, um, Brighton Volkswagen um, is where you can find me in Victoria. So um, also we have a contact us there. So that's the best place to find me. Awesome. Hey, Carrie, for yourself, what's the best way to connect with you? I've got a number of um, social media profiles. So you can follow me on Instagram, which is Kerry Munger Honda. You can look me up on Facebook, which is Kerry Munger New Honda Sales Manager, or just follow me on LinkedIn, which again, just Kerry Munger. And it's Kerry with an I, not a Y. I imagine you probably get that a lot, don't you? hey guys thank you so much for taking the time to jam with me this has been a ton of fun you guys have yourself an amazing day thank you you too thank you